It's good to be here. It's good to be here with all of you. As you can see, I got my props again. If you were here last week, I used some water. I'm going to use it again a little bit differently, but it's going to be fun. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about contentment. And the title of this message is Great Gain. I want you to keep that in mind because at the end of the message is, when we're, is the only time that we're going to be talking about this great gain. So all of it is going to be building up to the title, Great Gain. It's all from a verse that we're going to focus on in 1 Timothy. But um, to start off, I had a quarter, but I lost it. It's quite a dime. I wanted a quarter because it's bigger. But, um. So as some of you know, I was going to school to be a teacher. Now I ended up here. But I, my favorite subject in school was math. Loved math. Came um, sort of easy to me, so I enjoyed figuring out equations and finding answers. Raise your hand if you're a math person. Raise your hand if you're like, math was the death of me. See, I was going to school to help you. That's what I wanted to do. But, so I love math. I'm not a big, like, social, or, I'm not a big uh, language arts. You know, I, I like to read, but I wouldn't call myself, like, an avid reader. So when I was in when I was, um, you know, in elementary school, the big thing is to tell the kids, you know, like, learn to read. Because if you read, you learn. If you learn, you can grow. And if you grow, you can go to college. So, like, they push reading. And I remember my first day of student teaching, they were like, oh, dude. Dude. Bro. He just gave me a quarter. That's good. Thank you, Deontay. Give it up for Deontay. I forgot what I was even saying. Um, oh, yeah, so first day of student teaching, I came up to the front of the room, and they're like, what's your favorite subject? They called me Mr. B. It was a fourth grade class. What's your favorite subject, Mr. B? I was like, math. And then my, my uh, cooperating teacher was like, so do you love to read? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then she was like, what books do you like to read? And I was like, the good ones? I don't even remember what I said, but, you know, they're fourth graders. I tricked them pretty easily, but. They could probably, they could realize that I really wasn't genuine, but they knew that I love math and I love science. But anyways, um, I have a quarter here. And so the probability, relating it back to math, the probability of flipping heads is 50%. The probability of flipping tails is 50%. So let's say I were to flip this coin... 50% chance it's heads. I'm going to guess tails. It's tails. Tails never fails. Flip it again. Still a 50% chance. The odds have not changed. Tails again. 2-0. Somebody call it out. Tails again. 3-0. Call it out. Tails again. 4-0. Wow. Come call it. It's heads. Call it again. Last one. Heads, four to two. So all to say, the probability is 50%. So if we were to flip it 100 times, the actual probability, because I wasn't sure, so I looked it up, the actual probability of flipping 50 heads and 50 tails in 100 tosses is 8%. But the probability of it being between 45 and 55 is 95%. 
And so no matter how many times, we, I flipped four tails in a row, right? So in the beginning, it might be all tails, but the odds say that eventually, if I do it enough, it will gravitate towards the probability, which is 50%. It will be within that five range. I'm not saying it's going to be exactly, but it's going to be within that range. Does that make sense? Nod your head if that makes sense. Shake your head if you're like, stop talking about math. I came here to listen about God, not math. (laughs) So 100 times, it might be 20 tails and then 10 heads and then five tails and then 20 heads. I'm confusing myself, so I'm going to stop. But eventually, it's going to come back to this, you could call it an equilibrium. It's back to the number, the probability, 50%. So it's going to be within 45 and 55. Remember that because we will come back to it, I promise. Because you're like, I thought we were talking about contentment. Math. Anyways, I want to read my verse, my first verse tonight, which is going to be the verse of the night. It's 1 Timothy 4, uh, 6, 4 through 8. They, they are teachers. You could call them false teachers. But they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness, this is our verse, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Man, that's some good stuff. Amen? But godliness, verse 6, with contentment is great gain. The first thing that I noticed here when I read this verse was that godliness and contentment are two separate entities. They're two very separate things, but when they join together, they produce great gain. So I want to talk about godliness first. What does godliness even mean? I think it's a term that we can, we can use a lot in Christian circles, but what does it actually mean? And I forgot to pray, so I need to pray right now. God, help me. Holy Spirit, I ask that you teach me And you lead me and guide me and open our hearts to learn. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our teacher. And that I am simply a vessel. I'm a mouthpiece for the word of God. And I ask that you teach every single person in here. You know where every single person's at. Meet them right where they're at and teach them what they need to be taught today. I thank you, God, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So godliness, what does it even mean? What godliness means, I, lo- I looked it up in the Greek, it means like to practice religion or it's the true form of religion. So God, and I don't mean to scare you because religion has a really kind of a poor connotation in our society today. We don't want to be called religious. People say, are you religious? No, I love Jesus. <laughs> are you religious? No, I'm a Christ follower. You know, we don't, want even, we don't even want to be termed religious because that usually means that we follow the rules and we're just all about rules, rules, rules. But James actually talks about religion. It says, true religion that pleases God takes care of the widows and the orphans and their un, 
they're untainted from the world. So they care for orphans, they care for widows, another word, and they're unspotted from the world. That means they look nothing like the world. That's what true religion looks like. Raise your hand if you want true religion to care for orphans, to care for widows, and be unspotted from the world. That's something that I want, so I want to be godly, right? So godliness with contentment. So let's define contentment real quick. Contentment, state of happiness or satisfaction. State of happiness or satisfaction. And actually, when I looked it up, it's actually a permanent state of mind. So while your contentment may change in different, on different days, you actually have a level of contentment that is totally stable. That no matter what happens to you, you'll always come back to that level of contentment. I'll relate it back to the coin. No matter what happens, we flip that thing a hundred times, no matter if it's tails or heads, it's always going to go back to that equilibrium. Your contentment is stable, but it can change. We'll go further into that in a minute. Easton's Bible Dictionary defines contentment as a state in, oh, a state of in, uh, I'm not nervous. I think I'm just trying to talk too fast. A state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his lot, whatever it may be. Contentment. A state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his lot, whatever it may be. What that means is whatever's going on in your life you're okay with it. Whatever's going on in your life, you're still satisfied. Whatever's going on in your life, you're not looking to God and saying, Why are you, what are you doing? Right. You're content. But not to be confused with complacency. Because contentment says, I'm satisfied right where I'm at and I don't need anything more. Complacency, complacency says, I'm okay with where I'm at, but I'm not trying to get any better. I'm not trying to improve my life. Contentment says, I'm satisfied, but I want more. I'm satisfied, but I know there's more. I'm satisfied, but give me more. Sometimes I think of that when I'm eating some chocolate brownies. I say, I'm satisfied. Give me some more. Come on. Amen, anyone? What about, I went to, I just had some, I was out with a buddy, Gabe, we were chatting up over at Mr. Burger. We had some strawberry pie. Come on. Can I get an aim? Who's, anyone ever had Mr. Burger's strawberry pie? Man, I'm not even getting paid for this advertisement. Mr. Burger better write me a check. So we're content, no matter what, always but we're still wanting more. We're still open to more. We're still okay with God giving us more, but we're just okay with being where we're at. So which brings me to my first point. Contentment brings deliverance. When you hear the word deliverance, I think, okay, what are we being delivered from? Usually I think of like winning or coming out of something or conquering something or beating something. We're you know, coming from something, delivered from something, into something. So what are we being delivered from? 
we're actually being delivered from the worldly way of thinking. We're being delivered from the lie that we were told from the very moment that we were born, growing up all the way to where we are now. It's the lie that we've been told and that we've believed. Even when we've heard the truth, we've always believed this lie is that Maybe not everyone has believed this lie, but vast majority, if you're not intentional about it, you will fall into this, is that your contentment is dependent on your circumstances. Your contentment, your happiness, or your satisfaction in life is dependent on the circumstances that you're in. And the Bible actually says... Your contentment is a permanent state of mind independent from anything that happens to you. So you see the lie that we believe? Especially in America. We say, man, but you don't know what I went through. You don't know what what happened to me. You had it good. We make excuses for the lives that we, we live and the struggles that we have in the discontentment that we live in. We make excuses because of our circumstances, but the opposite is actually true. So what I wanna do is I wanna kind of give you a visual for our happiness and our satisfaction. So we have this glass here. This glass here is gonna represent us. The water that I'm gonna pour into is gonna represent our satisfaction or our happiness or our contentment. And this line right here is called the too good to be true line. Can everyone see it? It's the too good to be true line. And what that basically means is we all have that permanent state of mind, our contentment. And for different people, it's at different levels. For some people, it might be like really low that no matter what happens to them, they're still always going to be grumpy. They're still always going to be mad. They're still always going to be unhappy with their lives. And there's other people who can, whose contentment is a little bit higher and they say, you know what? That's okay. I'm still content. I'm still happy. And there's other people who are more in the middle and they're like, you know, I, I like my life. I, I have no complaints about my life. But their contentment is in the middle. But the problem is all three of those are, are a problem is that they're all inconsistent and they're all dependent on circumstances. So let me play this out for you. I got good reflexes today. So we all start out with an empty glass. You could say every morning we start out with an empty glass. Sometimes we might have things that carry over from the day before. But so you wake up in the morning, Right? And you're going to work. You wake up, you're like, take a shower, brush your teeth. Man, I'm looking good today. You're just feeling good. Feeling good about your day already. So you have a good morning. So you maybe pour a little bit. So now your your happiness, your contentment is actually, it's growing. It's going towards that too good to be true line, that permanent state of mind that you will always return to, the equilibrium of your contentment. And then all of a sudden you're driving to work, you hit two green lights in a row. A little bit more. Man, when I hit green lights, I'm like, come on, let's go. I love green lights. Is anyone else like you have, you have like your route from work back home and you know exactly how fast you have to go in order to make the green light? And you're like, come on, let's go. And when you make it, 
When you know it's like a victory is when it's like, it's so close. And it's, and it's yellow, maybe even pink, and you still go through it, but <laughs> Lord help us, forgive us. So our contentment, so we hit the green light, but then we hit, it, we hit one red light, but we hit two, so we're like, okay, that's just neutral, whatever. And we look over and I wouldn't, this is not me, I'm saying if you're single, maybe, for who you are. <laughs> this is a general statement. Yeah, um, so you look over maybe and there you see some guy or girl that's cute and you look and you make eye contact. One eye contact, no adding contentment. Two contacts, the second look, you can add some water to your cup. <laughs> so for all of us, we have a good morning. We think we look good, nice and clean. We had two green lights and we get a double look from someone from a different car. Everything is going good, but here's the problem. We're right at our too-good-to-be-true line. So what that means, let me explain it to you. So what that means is you're going to start, subconsciously we think this way. We think, man, these things are, good things are happening. Man, something bad has to happen. Something bad has to happen. My life's not that good. This is too good to be true. And so we might even go above the line. We get to work and our boss is like, hey, I really, you did a really good job on your, uh, your task from yesterday. You're like, yeah, I got a compliment. Oh, bummer. <laughs> I should probably have my wife make these from now on. So now we're above our, our line of too good to be true and we start to get a little shaky. Like, we're like looking out. We're like, Where? when's the bad thing going to happen? I know something bad's going to happen. And we actually start looking for things that can bring our contentment level down because our contentment level of equilibrium is it's too high. So just like the coin, it's always going to return back to that level. So then even if bad things, they're not even that terrible of events that happen to you, we filter our perspective so that those things bring us down. So then somebody gives us a dirty look. Mm-mm. Okay, that's better now. I'm back at my level. I'm back at my level. I'm under the too good to be true line. I'm okay. I'm not gonna have too high of expectations for my life, for my day. No one can be really that content, right? So then something else happens and you go home, you hit no red lights. I mean, you hit no green lights. Somebody gives you a dirty look and you lock your keys in your car. I'm not going to, there's one female in this room who locks her keys in her car more than anyone I know. <laughs> Luckily, we have an extra set of keys now. So these bad things happen, and now we're below our too-good-to-be-true line, so we start looking for ways that we can actually make our contentment level higher. Because we're always going to return back to that equilibrium. So then we go, man, this is not working out for me right now. It's actually adhesive, but I don't know why it's not sticking. Lord help me. So we have, you know, um, 
I forgot where I was at, stupid thing. <laughs> so now we're below our level of contentment, our too-good-to-be-true line, so we start looking for ways that we can add to our too-good-to-be-true, or to our satisfaction, to our contentment. So we're feeling kind of down from the day, we're tired, so we take ourselves out for dinner, and we have a nice meal. And we're like, yeah, we're feeling good. We're feeling good. And so I want to be done now, but you can see how it's a back-and-forth battle all day, every day, adding stuff, taking stuff away. And we actually become an emotional roller coaster where we're only as good as the things that are happening in our lives. And our level of contentment stays the same, it goes up and down, and nothing ever changes. And this too-good-to-be-true line can actually change, but it only changes with very significant events in your life. And this is actually the lie. This is the lie that we, we live. It is. It's the lie that I was stuck in and that I still get stuck in today is that your contentment and your happiness depends on your, in your situation. It's a lie. It's an emotional roller coaster. You go up, you go down. You go up, you go down. Were we really, supposed, were we really meant to live an up and down roller coaster life? No, we're supposed to be like Jesus, and Jesus was constant. He was never changing. He never had a bad day. But guess what? Jesus did one thing that was very significant. If you read throughout the whole New Testament and the Gospels, there's this line that keeps reappearing. It says, Jesus went away alone in the morning while it was dark and he spent time with his father and he prayed to him. I wonder why Jesus was the way he was. You know, he was fully flesh. We kind of put Jesus like he's God. Yeah, he is God, but he was fully flesh, guys. Fully flesh. He felt every temptation that you've ever felt, but he felt it worse because he never surrendered to it. So is it possible to live a life without ever going to Cedar Point, the roller coaster life? So how do we do it? How do we live a life of constant? Not, not constant, too good to be true here, but constant, too good to be true here fully satisfied all the time. Because remember our definition of contentment, a state of, or let me go back to it, a state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his lot, whatever it may be. That means being fully satisfied with your lot, whatever it may be. Is it possible? That's my question. And it is, but it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the average Joe. It's for someone, actually it is for the average Joe, but it's for the average Joe who's surrendered to Jesus. And it's very daunting. It's like, man, I can't do that. I can't do that. You're right, you can't. But guess what? We're going to talk about some very applicable and very simple steps in how to start making progress. I'm not calling you to be at the top. I'm not calling you to be fully satisfied today. What I'm calling you to, today is to do, is to look inside and say, where am I at right now? Is to look and say, where am I at? And then ask the Holy Spirit, ask God, how can I grow? 
how can I grow? That's our goal today, and we're going to talk about some, some simple steps to do that. Um, so, this is what I want to go to next. John 4, 13 through 14. I love this verse. Oh. oh, Jesus answered. He's talking to a woman at the well, and she's a Samaritan woman, and he's a Jew, so he's not supposed to even talk to this Samaritan woman. And she's like, and Jesus asks her to get, her, get him some water, and she responds and, and says, you're not even supposed to be talking to me. But then Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring, welling up to eternal life. Can I get an amen? Let me read that again. Because I don't think some of you were listening. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks this water, the water from the world, will be an emotional roller coaster. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Whoever drinks the water that I give them will never be discontent. Whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never look to the world to satisfy their needs because I meet all of their needs. Come on. Indeed, this is huge. The water I give them will become in them. So the water I give them He's giving us something, okay? He's given us something. It's the Holy Spirit will become. We've become something, you guys. We've become something. I will give them. Will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What he's giving us is the Holy Spirit and it's stirring us up to have a different perspective. It's stirring us up to have our eyes on eternal life. Here's the reality. What's the thing, the thing that I think that I've thought about and the thing that we fear the most is we fear death. We fear dying, we fear loss. You know what in the New Testament, in, in the Gospels, Jesus says multiple times, you will never die. 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 If you believe in Jesus or you don't, you will never die. Your spirit is eternal. We can live a life consumed by the flesh, which leads to death, or we can live a life that's led by the spirit, which leads to life and peace. And a life led by the Spirit is a life led by a perspective towards eternal life. The fact that our lives won't end when our bodies stop functioning. They won't end. And it's not supposed to scare us, it's supposed to motivate us. It's supposed to motivate us to share the news of Jesus everywhere we go. It's not supposed to scare us. If it scares you, you need to reorganize your thoughts and to think a little bit differently because it's actually the most sure thing that we could ever know. 
It is. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know eternal life, today's your day. You don't need to wait till tomorrow. You don't need to wait till next week. You don't need to say, you know, to, you know, I'm really feeling it, but you know, I, maybe next week. No, you don't have a next week. Today's the day. You were born for a time as this. Right now, there's a reason why you're here. It's not an accident that your friends brought you here. It's not an accident that you came and just, I thought I'd show up. Oh, I saw a big church. I thought I'd be, just show up and go. No, there's a reason why you're here. God is drawing. He's attacking your heart. He's trying to break down the walls that you set up. He's coming after you. He is. So, contentment in Jesus erases the too-good-to-be-true line. Contentment in Jesus erases the too-good-to-be-true line. To where there's no limit that we can be fully satisfied all the time. But the problem is, is that it doesn't stay fully satisfied by accident. It doesn't stay fully satisfied without you actually doing anything. You are a co-laborer with God. You work with him. You commune with him. You meet with him. You talk with him. You listen to him. That's how you stay fully content. Jesus would never have been fully content unless he was with his father. Unless he spent the time to meet and talk and listen to his father. You know when he went and he was picking his 12 disciples? He spent the whole night praying, through the night, didn't even sleep, because he wanted to hear from the Father. He needed to hear from him who to pick. If, that's scary, that's, that humbles me a little bit, because I say, if Jesus needed to just pray all night to decide that, what have I prayed all night for? Man, it humbles me, because it, it shows me that there's there's more. There's more that I'm not even tapping into. There's more that we don't even, we can't even think or imagine that God has planned for us and that he wants us to accomplish with him. So, contentment erases the too good to be true line, but it can easily creep back in if you don't pursue Jesus. If you don't pursue the relationship with Jesus, with God, with the Holy Spirit, that easily creeps back in. I want you to tell a story of my life that actually happened where it creeped back in. So I was just saying in the beginning of the sermon, I, I student taught. And I, you know, the reason why I student taught, I like school, I like, like helping kids learn, but the, the, the main reason why I did it is because I wanted to see kids and I wanted to love kids so much that they believed in themselves. And my heart was to, you know, to really affect and change their lives academically and you could say spiritually, is to really show them that someone cared and loved them with God's love. That was my heart. And so I went into student teaching. I was like fired up. I was like praying every day, like good prayers, like Michael Jr.'s prayers. And I was like praying really hard for these kids. And I was, you know, writing down my prayers. And I was jacked up, you know. I was ready to go. And I would say, you know, the first two weeks, I was in Grand Rapids Public, so it was pretty, it's, not, it's not as bad as what you think it is. It's actually, it's actually very fun, and it's awesome, because you get to hang out and, and pour into these kids that, are, that need so much love. But, so these first two weeks, you know, I didn't, I didn't get a lot of respect in the beginning, so anything I said, they kind of didn't listen to me, so I'd be like, hey, pick up your pencil. They'd be like, 
you know, because you don't haven't built that respect yet. So they, they don't really, why would I listen to you? Like, who are you? You just showed up. Why am I going to listen to you? So, you know, I was still okay with that because I, my purpose was just to love them. Love them, love them, love them. Remember we talked about agape love, not expecting anything in return. And that was my heart, was not expecting anything in return from them. They didn't owe me respect. They didn't owe me anything. I was just going to give them all the love that I had. But so I did that for about like probably two weeks. And after two weeks, it was really hard. And all of a sudden, I, st- I started praying less. All of a sudden, I started getting a little stressed, a little frustrated because the things that I, that I wanted to happen in two weeks weren't happening. And, my, and I was so content in the beginning. And then towards the middle, I was really starting to doubt. And I was like, man, this is hard. Like, this is hard work. I'm loving these kids. And they just, they still do the same thing. They still do the same thing. It was really discouraging until probably about, it was like a 17-week student teaching, and probably until about week 12, God gave me a heart check. He said, what are you doing? Not like in a condemning way, but you know better. You know the truth. Start fighting for those kids again. They don't owe you anything. They don't owe you anything except for, to receive the love that you can give them. That's all that, you, that's all that they owe you. Nothing. And so it was a heart check, and then I started praying for him again, but it was still hard. It was a daily thing where I had to pray and really dig into the word of God and his heart for those kids because it was hard. So this brings me to my next point. Number two, perspective produces perseverance. So my first point was contentment brings deliverance. Point number two, perspective produces perseverance. Perspective is the difference, guys. What you're looking at, what you're seeing, what you're focusing on is everything. If you're intentional or you're unintentional, it's everything. Because it's a battlefield of the mind, battlefield of the mind. You're either growing or you're not. You're either growing or you're going farther away. Because of the mind, because of, like we said, 168 hours a week that you're not in, well, you could be going to other churches and other things, but that you're not in church. And the world is giving us a lot of, a lot of crap. So it's a battlefield of the mind. So perspective produces perseverance. I want to talk about three perspectives that are incorrect and that I wouldn't say these are the only perspectives, but I'd say most of us will fall into these. So it's our perspective. The first one is um, results-driven perspective. And that's what I did. I was focused on the results. My contentment was based on the results that I got from my student teaching experience, and it didn't pan out. I didn't have the motivation. I didn't have the stick I didn't have the consistency that I needed because it was based on the results. Guys, if we base things on the results, we'll never last. If you base it on the end result, it's not going to work out for you. And too many times I see people I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about in general. I see people who have these dreams that actually God has placed on their hearts and on their lives, and they want them to happen, but they pursue their dreams so much that they're discontent in the moment. 
that they're so consumed with pursuing their dream that they're actually not even content in the position that they're in, but they say it's the will of God to be in that position, but they're not content. I'm telling you that's twisted because the word of God says, be thankful in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So if you're not content, you're not walking in the will of God. But they, we claim that that's the will of God for us. Do you see how easily that's twisted? No, it says be content in all circumstances, no matter what happens. We can't be goal-oriented. We need to be process-oriented. Love the process, guys. Be faithful with the little. Be faithful right where you're at. Because God sees your heart. He doesn't see... He doesn't see anything that you do. He only sees the heart in which you do it. So if you're faithful in what you do, he will honor you and you will be given much more to handle. The second perspective is comparison perspective. And this is a perspective that says, well, man, I'm, I'm this age and so-and-so is this age and man, they're doing a lot better than I am. And then all of a sudden, our perspective, our contentment is based on our comparing our, to our peers. And that's going to lead you to one or two places. Nick and I were talking about this and how, how easy it is to fall into the comparing game, into the jealousy game, into look at your neighbor game. Well, my neighbor has a boat. I need a boat. It leads to one of two things. Comparison does. It either leads to one discontentment, which is because I'm not there and they are, so now I'm not happy. Or two, it turns into pride because look at me, I'm here. And they're not there, which means I'm better than they are. And then you don't have to think those thoughts to actually be prideful. It's all about your heart. You're the only one that can decide that. Other people judge you and they probably decide that you're prideful, but you're the only real one who can decide that for yourself. The third one, which I talked about earlier, is complacent perspective. It's a feeling of being satisfied with how things are and not wanting to try to make them better. So you're sitting there, you're like, you know, I'm just, this is who I am. It's how God made me. I'll never change, but I'm happy anyways. No, God wants more for you. He wants more for you. So you cannot be results-driven, you cannot have the comparison perspective and you cannot have the complacent perspective. So you can ask yourself, which one, which one do I lean towards? I'll, for myself, I lean towards the results. I want to see results. I know Scott wants to see results too when he's pumping iron. He's like, <clears throat> and John, sorry, John. <laughs> but it's the process. You have to enjoy, you have to be content in the process of growing. So our perspective, what perspective do we need to have? Um, 1 Timothy 6, verse 7. We already read it, but I'm going to highlight it again. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. It's the eternal perspective. It's the same thing talked about in John 4. It's the eternal perspective. We brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. This world is going to pass. Your phones are going to go away. Our cars are going to die. Some of you, some of you are sooner than later. 
I've seen the parking lot out there. I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not judging your cars. I'm sorry. But it's an eternal perspective. It's not placed on the worldly things, but it's placed on the eternal things. We brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out. Eternal perspective. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Our perspective is designed to be on purpose. You are designed to live in purpose. We all are all searching for it. We're all searching for happiness, satisfaction, and the reason why we're alive. And I tell you, the reason why you're alive is to receive the love of God. Done. This is the only reason why you're alive. And if you do receive the love of God, you'll start to love yourself. And you'll start to love God. And once you start to love God, you'll start to love people. And next thing you know, you're fulfilling the greatest commandment that ever was. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. But your only purpose is to receive the love of God. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you that he gave his only son that you might not perish but have everlasting, eternal life. A perspective needs to be placed on purpose and on eternity. I want to talk about Paul real quick. Paul was amazing, guys. He was, man, he is a hero of the faith. So while he was in prison, prison, he wrote four letters to four different churches. Those four letters are now the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And while he was in jail, while he was in prison, he wrote those letters. And to, be, to start off every single one of those letters, it started out with, I thank God every day for all of you. Man, good thing Paul wasn't focused on his too-good-to-be-true line. Because if, if he was focused on his circumstances, he'd be like down here at the bottom. Because he's in prison, he's getting beaten, he's getting mocked, he's, getting, he's not eating probably. But he said, I thank God every day for you. The reason why he was able to thank God for the church is because his perspective was focused on purpose. He knew the reason why he was alive. It was never about him. It was always about Jesus' name being preached throughout the world. So even while he was in prison and Jesus' name was being preached, he said, glory to God because my purpose is being fulfilled even though I'm in prison. So what's your perspective on? Is it on your situation or is it on your purpose? Do you even know your purpose? I tell you, you can find out your purpose today. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. This is Paul speaking. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, which means to be treated poorly, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Philippians 4, 13 is one of the most 
well-known verses in the Christian circles, but we don't even know the verses that are before it. It says, I know how to be content in all circumstances, so whatever comes my way, through death, through life, through crap, through goodness, I can be content. It's not, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We love to quote that. How about we start living the two verses before it? Being content in any circumstance. No matter come, what comes our way, we can be fully persuaded, fully content in whatever comes our way. So when people look at us, they say, man, nothing shakes that dude. We sing it today. We will not be shaken. Do we believe it? We will not be shaken no matter comes our, what comes our way. Nothing will shake us because we have our perspective on our purpose. And our purpose is to receive the love of God from him so that we can change the world. Man, it gets me fired up. It's not about your situation. It's not about your circumstance. Let's get that too good to be true line erased from our lives and let's live fully content lives. I'm not calling you to be here, but I'm calling you and I'm asking you and I'm inviting you to evaluate where you are today so that you can grow. It's not about the end goal. If you focus on this, you'll fail. If you focus on filling, you'll fail. But if you focus on the process, you'll grow. You will grow. Man. So, point one. Contentment brings deliverance. Perspective Produces perseverance so you can, you can persevere through any circumstance and still be content. Any circumstance comes your way. If your perspective is on your purpose, you will be okay, I promise you. Our last point, which is going to be a quick one, I promise. Thankfulness makes the difference. This is the application part of the message. So I've given you a lot of information. I've given you a lot of like, I feel like I'm just like fire hose just shooting out at you guys and you're like, what is going on right here? I want to give you some steps or some very practical things that you can do to start growing. Some easy things. And all I'm asking you to do is, is anyone here this weekend? For Dr. Caroline Leaf? Yeah, it was awesome. So this is what, I'm, I'm stealing her stuff. Sorry, Dr. Leaf. <laughs> Just one part of it, so don't worry. Um, well, first off, I want to start off with my verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I already said it. Being thankful in all circumstances. I see so many of you. I don't know a lot of you, but I do know some of you, and I know some of the stuff that you go through, and I am humbled by how you handle yourselves and how you still give thanks in all circumstances. You have some rough stuff that you're going through, but you still are joyful. You still pray, and you still give thanks in all circumstances. I can stand up here confidently and say that you are walking in the will of God. It's a good, it's a good thing. Because if you don't walk in that place, you'll actually never know the plans God has for you. Because you won't be walking in as well if you're not thankful in this very moment, in every circumstance, that doesn't mean that God doesn't have plans for you, but you'll never be able to fulfill them to the capacity that you could if you were just thankful with where you're at. So I'm gonna give three easy 
three things that we can do that will dr- drastically change your whole perspective. Your contentment level will skyrocket, I promise you. But all I'm asking you to do is dedicate seven minutes a day. This is where I'm stealing from Dr. Dr. Leaf. Seven minutes a day. It says if you intentionally focus on, on one thing for seven minutes a day, your brain will start to grow what they call dendrites. And I'm not going to go any farther than that because I'll probably mess it up. Well, actually, your brain will start to change and you'll actually, the whole genetic makeup of your brain will start to align with the thoughts that you're thinking for those seven minutes. Seven minutes a day. Can we raise our hands and say, I can do seven minutes a day. I'll tell you what, I know a lot of you watch Netflix for more than seven minutes a day. I'm pointing on myself on that one, so. Step one. Thank God every morning and every night for Jesus. It's very simple, guys. Start thanking God for him every day and every night. Psalms 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. He is good, guys. We have a lot to be thankful for. So let's start thanking God for Jesus every day. I'll show you what that looks like just as an example. I thank, I thank you, God, that when you see me, you see Jesus. I thank you, God, that when, that when Jesus died on the cross, it proved my value. It proved that you loved me. I thank you, Jesus, that you paid a price for me. I thank you, God, that I'm your son, that I'm your daughter. I thank you, God, that I'm righteous. And I thank you, God, because of Jesus, that I have the Holy Spirit who teaches me all things. Those are just some simple things that we can do that will totally change our day and that will totally change our lives. Second thing you can do is start a thankful journal and write in it every day. Start a thankful journal and write in it every day. If it's just one thing, That's perfectly fine. But we need to start being joyful and thankful for the little things in our lives, for the blessings that we have and we get to enjoy every single day. For example, being here. For example, wearing clothes. For example, eating food. We have a a group from our youth that are going on a mission trip right now. I guarantee you when they come back, they're going to say, oh man, these, these, these kids didn't have anything, but they were still so content. They were still so happy. And it's true because they are not comparing themselves. They're just thankful for what they have. So if we start writing in our thankful journal every single day, our perspective and what we're looking at will start to change. Start being thankful. But one of the things that's gonna hinder you the most is expectation. Because expectations and entitlement are the enemy of gratitude. If you have an entitled mindset, you will never be thankful. Start your thankful journal. Seven minutes a day. Seven minutes. What's the, how many minutes are in a day? I'm not going to try to do that math. <laughs> Seven minutes a day. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. Romans 12.2 says, I was talking to the guy before service about this. Where you at, Austin? Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the, by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to 
test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what happens is these seven minutes are going to start to renew your mind. You're going to start thinking differently. You're going to start operating differently. And you're going to start actually living in your purpose. Because if you thank God for Jesus every day, you'll start to realize and it'll start to become a reality that he loves you. And that needs to become a reality. Not just a saying, not just a thought, not just a confession. It needs to become your everything. Step three. Be intentional about thanking people. Thank people just when they give you food, when they open the door for you. Even if they don't deserve a thank you, say thank you. Just start being grateful to everyone because your whole world will change. You'll see everything different. And you'll actually start to become content. You'll actually start to be happy with what you have because you'll see the pain and the hurt that everyone else is living in. So step one, thank God for Jesus every day and every night. Two, start a thankful journal and write in it every day. Three, Start thanking people all around you. Here's a quote. If you've forgotten the language of gratitude, you will never be speaking on, ter- you will never be on speaking terms with happiness. If you've forgotten the language of gratitude, you will never be on speaking terms with happiness. So to end, I want to show you what's going to happen when we start doing this. When this starts, because I believe that you are going to do this. You're not just going to go and you're not going to do nothing with this. You're going to go home and you're going to start doing this seven minutes every day and it's going to change your life. And this place is going to be a place of contentment. This is going to be a place where we are a safe haven for people because we know who we are so they can come and we can show them who they are. So this is what's going to happen. We'll actually just start to know the will of God for our lives. And we'll, our minds are going to be start to be renewed. So even when the bad things start happening, remember this is our satisfaction. So the bad things start happening. The world's getting to us. Bad things are happening. It's going to start pouring out, pouring out. But we're focusing on Jesus. Our perspective is right. So he's going to be pouring in. So even when it's pouring out, more is being poured in. And it's being poured out. And it's being poured in. And guess what? No matter what happens, we're going to be fully content. No matter what the world brings our way, when we keep our perspective on our purpose, we'll always be fully content. Always. No matter the circumstance. So what is our great reward? I told you I wasn't going to talk about it till the end of the service. What is our great reward? Let's, fo- let's look at our verse. I'm going to go to the verse one more time. First Timothy 6.6. 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What's the great gain? The great gain is that you will know the will of God for your life. The great gain is that you are going to find what you're looking for your whole life. Happiness. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. It's the realization that you can be thankful and content in all situations. It's the realization of knowing why you are alive, that you'll never die, that you have eternal life, and that you know the will of God because you have been thankful in all circumstances. You have been joyful. You have been praying. Now you know the will of God. Your contentment is delivering you from the lie that your happiness is based on your circumstances. Your perspective is giving you perseverance to rest through any situation. Now your cup is being filled, filled even though you might be losing some water. Let's stay connected to the river of living water. Our God, our giving thanks is fueling us and renewing our minds to the will of God. Now we are unmovable, unshakable, overflowing with the love of God because our perspective is only on 
that one thing. Man, we can do it, guys. So what I want to do is I want to pray. But before I pray, I want, to, I want everyone just to kind of close their eyes. And I'm not going to ask anyone to do anything, but I just want you to be real with yourself. For, I'm just going to ask for 15 seconds. So everyone close your eyes. And I want you to ask, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit just to talk to us on where we're at. And where's our level of contentment right now? And ask God where we need to be. So I want you to just repeat after me. Say, God, Holy Spirit, teach me. Show me where I'm at. And just, just listen. Just be real with yourself. Where are you at? Now say, Holy Spirit, where are you calling me to be? Just listen. It could be a small voice in your head. It could just be a thought. It could be a picture. It could be whatever. But this is the greatest moment of the night where we get to hear from the Holy Spirit himself, our teacher. Awesome. You can open your eyes. So I'm just going to pray to end this night because it was a good night. It was a long night. I'm sorry. I'll get better, I promise. I'll get better at I'll get better at valuing your time. Because I think I'm starting to lose my voice too. So I'm just gonna pray. God, thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that our that we can be content in any circumstance. Thank you, God, that you are teaching us how to receive your love so that we can be everything that you've called us to be, so that we can be the light of the world, a city set on a hill that a burning flame that no one can set out, an unshakable, unmovable rock, an unmovable, unshakable light that no one can put out. No matter how much evil comes our way, we can stand in it and say, thanks God, because you are the reason why I'm alive. So I pray for every single person here that they will know the love of God and that it will penetrate their hearts. We just thank you for Jesus, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like to join us live, we meet every Thursday night at 7 p.m. in the ground floor at Res Life in Granville, Michigan. Or you can watch us online at reslife.org slash live. You can also keep in touch with the Access Ministry on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Access RLC.